Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day! Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number 1370, entitled Who's That Knocking? And our podcast title is Stringing the Pod. <laughs> I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And we opened with a track there called The Forbidden Tower (laughs) by Stephen Sondheim from the Into the Woods 2014 motion picture soundtrack album. And, of course, US American composer and lyricist Stephen Sondheim has taken his last bow at the grand age of 91. No longer with us, except forever with us on screen and stage and on record and CD and streaming. And <laughs> yeah, so virtually here. I hadn't planned on um, doing a in memoriam on Sondheim today because it's a mm-hmm. big topic mm. genre-wise and we will hold that for another day. But I didn't think we could start Zero G today without some track. And why did I choose the Forbidden Tower? Well, (laughs) I know why. You know why. (laughs) There is a clock tower that appears in the television show, which is going to be one of our anchor points for today's show. Well, gosh, another Marvel series. Yes, and this one was a bit of a surprise. So we did our little Marvel kind of Disney Day wrap-up recently, and that reminded us that Hawkeye was on the way. He was stringing his bow ready to uh, leap onto our screens again, and that was, again, another surprise. Like Eternals was hitting the cinemas, and Rob and I, you you and I discussed um, how it kind of came out of the blue, that there's just suddenly all this content coming that we hadn't expected. So this was a welcome surprise. And, yes, it is on Disney Plus or has started streaming on Disney Plus now. So Rob and I have taken a peek at the first couple of episodes, and I think we'll try and avoid any big – there's nothing really big to spoil, but I think we'll maybe be a bit coy about some details. What do you think? Well, yeah, pretty much, except for – a musical spoiler, which I cannot resist. Oh, I think that one, <laughs> I saw something on our little track list, so I think that one is an okay uh, spoiler to drop. So, yes, we are going to talk about the new Hawkeye series, which is on Disney+. Plus. It is the fifth show in their latest kind of bundle of Marvel TV shows that they're doing. So, of course, they had done previously a bunch of Marvel shows with Netflix, but it has since sort of been uh, – I end out that those shows aren't necessarily going to be canon, and that includes the things like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, The Punisher, and who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, The Defenders is actually like the aggregate series. Yes, of course. Yep, yep. So we – oh, Luke Cage. Mm. And so – 
we've got this new suite of shows that have been showing on Disney Plus, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, and now Hawkeye, which launched uh, on the 24th of November. And so there'll be six episodes in total, and they did a nice drop of the first two episodes, and then they'll now be coming out weekly until just before Christmas. I can see why they did a nice little double episode drop, actually, because they go very nicely as a combo setup mm. together. And I think we'll just cover those first couple today. It is set before Christmas too, so... Exactly. I think the timing has worked out perfectly. And if I know Marvel and Disney, that's definitely on purpose to get the vibes going. So created by Jonathan Igler. He's the executive producer and writer for Hawkeye, who has brought it to the screen from its comic form. He's previously worked as a writer on shows like Mad Men, Masters of Sex, and he was a producer on the Netflix show Bridgerton, which was very popular. Oh. So we've also got Reese Thomas, who heads up the directing team for this. He's worked on a lot of live comedy and comedy specials, from what I can tell. Oh. And, yeah, so I thought that was he's worked on SNL and things like that. And then we also have Christoph Beck doing the music for the Hawkeye TV series. He's also worked on Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and the pitch-perfect WandaVision, which I think we we loved here on Zero-G. And, of course, he was one of the alumni from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Oh, yes, of course. So definitely got some good chops there. We have Jeremy Renner returning as Hawkeye slash Clint Barton, and we also meet Kate Bishop, who, familiar to many comic fans, but her first appearance in the MCU or the MC TVU, <laughs> uh, and she's played by Haley Steinfeld. And we also have a couple of other characters um, introduced, one that I'll call out to note. We've got Eleanor, Kate's mother, who is played by Vera Farmiga, who we've seen in plenty of great genre, genre stuff before, uh, like Bates Motel was a very good TV show that she was in, and she was also in the Annabelle films. Oh, yeah, the the doll film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another creepy doll film. Another creepy doll film. Um, and one thing I did note at the, the opening credits of Hawkeye, they've really drawn the style straight from the comics that I recognised um, the Marvel Now Hawkeye volumes. I think the first volume of that was My Life is a Weapon, and that's when we do follow a bit of Hawkeye and Kate Bishop, and that kind of signature style and the colours and so on has been kind of directly brought into the credit style of this TV show, which is I think a really nice touch and adds a nice way of including some backstory and a little bit of exposition as well in those credit sequences in a very classy way. Just to remind people where Hawkeye comes from in the comic book terms, well, okay, if you go back to the 1940s and 1941, so okay, you've got like the adventures of Robin Hood in the 30s, the Errol Flynn movie. Mm -hmm. In the 1940s, you've got Green Arrow, Mm, who appeared in proto-DC comic book. And well predates Hawkeye, who did not appear in Marvel comics until 1964 in Tales of Suspense number 57, where, of course, he was an Iron Man villain. Oh, interesting. Mm, okay. About the same time, more not quite, but more or less the same time as uh, Black Widow. 
mm-hmm. came in too. So their fates were mm-hmm. inextricably linked in the comic books from then on. And he eventually went on to become an Avenger not that much later in 1965. <laughs> so one of the very early Avengers. So, you know, the familiar story arc of villain to hero. So let's uh, – do we want to have a track? I, I think we should have a, a track, um, although I'm wondering, maybe this whole discussion is better served on a show whose name on Triple R probably does fit the bill for Hawkeye, Twang. <laughs> 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 but no, we've got it, and here we go. We've a track called Hawkeye and <laughs> found this – uh, online, and it's by a guy called Insane Ian, and it's from an album called Meet the Avengers, and it does actually sort of introduce Hawkeye quite nicely. <laughs> Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy, and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities, zero-G, and Radio 3 Triple RFM. Triple R, it's independent radio, and it aims to misbehave. <laughs> Hawkeye! Insane Ian! <laughs> Pulling that nice one little... out of his quiver. <laughs> Nice little ditty there. I liked that um, little spin-off of a Beatles classic. That's what the whole album is, actually. One of the other tracks on it is called Thor's Silver Hammer. Ah, I see. Oh, fun. Nice nice find, Rob. We are, of course, talking about Hawkeye, the new TV series that Marvel has dropped, and it is on Disney Plus now. There's a couple of episodes already out, and then it will be continuing weekly into December. So should we talk a bit about the plot? So It's pretty standard, isn't it? Yeah, so we've got Curtains Up, New York City. It's set one year after the events of Avengers Endgame and it's it's an interesting piece. So we're introduced to Kate Bishop pretty quickly um, and she is, for all intents and purposes, uh, a 22-year-old who right away is set up beautifully as a very headstrong young woman and she has memories of the kind of the events that happened in New York with the Avengers when she was a lot younger and it's kind of helped shape uh, her interests, let's say. And we can tell right away that she's got a penchant for mischief, but she's clever and quick on her feet. And pretty much it seems if trouble doesn't find her, she's going to find trouble. Uh, But she's very, very likable as well. So I think that's really nice tone set by Hayley Seinfeld as the actress there. And then we also have Clint, of course, um, our main character, or one of our main characters returning again. He's in New York on holiday with his kids, and he's still kind of rebuilding his life, uh, recovering from his uh, exploits as a hero. And there's some nice moments that hint a bit to what his life is like now and how he's doing uh, emotionally and physically, uh, but it doesn't dwell too much on that, but it does create a little bit of nice light and shade there because overall the show does seem to favour a much lighter and more comedic tone. I think that's what they're going for here, a bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit of, you know, the grumpy mentor and the enthusiastic mentee, and I think that's actually a really nice way to play it for this one. So it is further fleshing out some of the post-Thanos, post-Snap vibes, 
what the world's like, what everyone's up to. And in this, we really do kind of hone in on Hawkeye and how he just can't seem to avoid trouble himself in some ways or in so much as his past does kind of keep lingering and catch up with him. So I I think there's a really great vibe that's set up right from the first episode. Uh, another, a different kind of energy and genre again to what we've seen in some of the other Marvel series. So it's both this origin story for Kate and we're revisiting our established Hawkeye character as well, but we have some of the grimy city street gang crime set up as well and w- mixed with a bit of a kind of an affluent rich New York City mm. uh, with the Christmas as the backdrop. So it's this quaint murder mystery in the city vibe, like people running around getting into trouble, a bit of a return to New York City, which I really liked because that's an element of some of the other earlier shows we kind of mentioned before that I, I enjoyed that, the New York backdrop, the city backdrop. And so we're kind of back there now. And Christmas, I think the Christmas backdrop is perfect as well because I'm hoping it's going to be quite aesthetic and cheesy and they'll continue to capitalise on that as the show goes on. So that's kind of our plot set up. Did you want to add anything to that, Rob? No, as I was saying before, it is a very standard setup for this kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like they've they've nailed the the notes every point along the way. It's got a very strangely family orientated feel. It reminds me of an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. In fact, it's set at Christmas. You know that. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of right. It's a bit of that Home Alone vibe, and also yeah, Disney '90s family classic with the Christmas and the city and a young kid who just can't keep her nose out of trouble. And I think it, they've they've done that really nicely. And of course, Clint's main objective throughout this is not to save the world. No. <laughs> He just wants to get home for Christmas. And that is something we can definitely uh, empathise with, I think, the poor guy. So I I felt that I was in quite familiar territory in in Marvel terms. We've had a lot of this street-level New York stuff going on. Yes. And this feels almost like a seamless pickup of the Netflix series, really, that kind of treading those same streets, except Mm. this one's way lighter than any of those ones. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. Like I said, I really like that we're returning to New York City. We're talking a little bit of, yeah, that street-level energy. But whereas Jessica Jones and some of the others did kind of tinker with some heavier themes and do it beautifully, I think this is firmly in let's keep it light, let's keep it fun uh, mindset. Unfortunately, the Christmas theme doesn't lend itself to the glorious musical palettes that they had on Netflix series. <laughs> so in this case, it's, there's basically a lot of Christmas songs in the background playing. And that's all right because that's where we are, you know. At, at any rate, I, I did enjoy it. I'm sitting there watching it thinking, this is so much fun. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really nice commentary on, like, as well as our plot, which is kind of a pretty paint-by-numbers plot so far, uh, it does provide a little bit of nice commentary on Hawkeye's place in the Avengers, his place as a hero and in the public eye, and then also his role as he just wants to be a family man. And just like with WandaVision and the other shows, like Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier. It's a really wonderful realisation of a side character, quote-unquote, story, 
um, but which gives them their due and a chance to really shine on their own and explore character ideas and depth about those things that never have enough space to breathe in the films. Ooh. So, you know, whether we dabbled a bit of like, oh, Hawkeye has a secret family and, you know, oh, he's the heart and, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is actually where we can explore some of those themes where he's just kind of this grumpy, <laughs> tired superhero who's just trying to have a bit of a normal life and then, uh, yeah, crosses paths. Fate has other things in store with this enthusiastic young upstart. And I think a show like this is going to hinge around the rapport and the chemistry of those two leads. And I personally found that it was great. I think Mm. she's super watchable, really good comic timing, and they just have a lovely rapport. I think, you know, yeah, that grumpy, (laughs) that old grumpy guy and the young, you know, just wide-eyed ingenue, it works, I think. It's been done many times, but I think they've done it well so far from what I can tell. There are some nuances to this that I really appreciated. The first one is an absence Mm -hmm. that I felt keenly in that I highly approved. So far, and we've only watched two episodes, so far no one's really lent into that cliche of, oh, Hawkeye is just one of the lighter Avengers. They have not gone anywhere near that. You mean like light light tone or like light on power strength as uh as yelena would say one of the little ones ah uh, yeah 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 like that he's not you know as big as yeah. or as important as the others yeah yeah no because he actually has trouble with his fan base there are people everywhere who say oh my god it's hawkeye and can i hmm. can you sign this and you know not I, in, I, not in an evil paparazzi way but in a a wave of genuine affection for one of the people who saved New York City. Yeah, I think it's done really nicely. Like they could have gone over the top or silly, but it is just a nice realisation of what it might actually be like for someone who'd be in the public eye in that way. Mm. And what did you think about the fight sequences and the action that we've seen so far? They were good. I am amazed that we've gotten through two episodes without seeing Clint put Arrow to bowstring, except in flashbacks. Yeah, I think that's a definite choice that they've made. And the fighting so far, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, seems to be a lot of like hand-to-hand improvisational street combat, basically. So I think they're gearing up to what I'm hoping will be some pretty epic archery scenes and I guess they're just going to make us wait for it that's fair enough well Kate does enough arrowing for everybody really in these two episodes she has done some but I'd say there's probably not as much as I would have expected for a show that centers around two very good archers but again I think that's deliberate but they also do lean into occasionally showing that Hawkeye he's good with things not just arrows in terms of being a good shot Yeah, that he's quite tuned in, he's a good fighter and he's got chops when it comes to planning and executing, um, you know, different kinds of Mm. moves. Because we did see him in the various movies go toe-to-toe with the Black Widow occasionally in in fighting scenes and he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he's not just a bow and arrow guy, that's for sure. And I think they're building Kate up to be similar. We see a bit of evidence of her chops as well, and she's certainly been working hard to be, you know, yeah, a bit of a weapon herself. So far our our antagonists, let's call them, uh, have been 
ranging from the amusing <laughs> to, yes. to the slightly more sinister and you wonder who they are. And, look, comic fans will already know from the last names and the I see. fixation upon certain weapons gotcha. who some of the villains are, mm-hmm. and that's all to the good. And you will also note that there are other people coming in You'll probably have heard about it anyway. I think we spoiled it last week uh, to tie this in with the Black Widow movie. So, you know, this is uh, all all to the good. I think I'm going to enjoy seeing these characters again in this situation. And, you know, down to the little things like they got the same actors who played Barton's Mm. uh, kids and his wife to reprise their role. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I I really liked that touch that, it makes sense that it's the same actors. I really like that. I think that Linda Cardellini, who plays his wife and has done so in the movies as well, I love their chemistry and dynamic. I love that she's just kind of like, yep, I got you. I understand that you also have these superhero things that you do and I support you. I like that and I like that they've treated it like that as well and continued that nice family. You know, why give him family drama if you don't have to? I would have been very mad if they invented some, well, look, the series ain't over yet, but if they invented some family drama or something like that. So I personally, same. I mean, I'm ready for Clint to have his day in the sun. I'm super happy that they're making this. It seems like they're going to do some great storylines. I think Kate being played well and being super watchable was really important for me because it seems obviously they're building her up and introducing her character. And I think Haley Steinfeld is really great choice and does a really great job so far and is funny and mm. – yeah, it works really well with Renner's kind of, okay, I'm just going to get this done this one last time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that he's battered and and lumpen. <laughs> not, yeah. Not, no, that's the wrong word. <laughs> that's, that's insulting him. No, lumpy, basically. You know. I he, mean, yeah, he's human, you know, yeah. same as the touches we liked in Black Widow that showed that, it, you know, they're not bouncing back. They're not getting any younger and they're going through some pretty hardcore injuries and getting tossed around. So. Do you notice that uh, both um, Natasha and Clint have both really, really – well-practised at first aid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like they, you've got to be. You've got to be. Just <laughs> you know, it's so not, like, I, not like Thor or Wolverine with a healing factor or, ugh, you know, Tony gosh. with armour and stuff. It's just <laughs> they just got to look after themselves constantly. I'd like, yeah, they're out there. <laughs> I do want to note the, uh, the presence of um, two fine actors there, Tony Dalton mm-hmm. and uh, Simon Callow both of who have quite a bit of history in <laughs> in movies and television. Uh, Simon Callow in particular because he is the older actor, so he's done a lot more. And they, these appear as uh, part of a family, the Duquesne family, okay. who seem to um, like naming themselves their, their children after each, after themselves. So it's like just, you know, the second, the third. Right, a, a right, like right. Empire in Foundation. <laughs> And they actually bring a lot of uh, of style to this show, especially given the fact that they're playing wealthy people in any way. But yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how that all works out. I like that juxtaposition. We've got a bit of this kind of rich, fancy, shiny New York world and then, of course, you know, the alleyways and the street gangs and all kinds of things. And I hope they capitalise on 
those side by side, that contrast, I think will be, will be quite nice. Cause yeah, Kate's from a rich family and much is made of that and very clearly set up that she's a, a woman of privilege. So I think that the fact they've still made her quite likable and not bratty mm. uh, is, is good. What did you think of the performance of Jolt? Jolt as? The golden retriever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. He does really well as pizza dog. <laughs> yes. No, I. you know I love a uh, dog inclusion in any TV show. So yeah. even though it's always ridiculous, like, you know, the dog just appears in an unlikely spot or manages to flee some unlikely situation, but I like the addition of another sidekick for sure. Yes, it's it's sad when dogs have to flee. I'd much rather see them heroically make the collar. <laughs> Anyway, we will have something ridiculous here. Now, the soundtrack album hasn't quite dropped as we go to air, which is unusual because usually they've got so many of these things ready and to go. And they're ready to reel in that cash, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but they do have a single. Oh. <laughs> and this is Save the City. Now, this is a musical spoiler. There is a... An in-house musical that people go to see, and as you we were talking about the little things in the Marvel universe. Well, you know the Battle of New York had massive consequences for the city itself. Battle of New York—that's what I was trying to think of before. But yes, and, and not only that, you know the the snap and the consequences of that as well, and the reversal. So yeah, it's only natural that they were put together musicals yeah. about the Avengers and their adventures. And this is from Rogers. The musical. <laughs> this is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walk Away, and you are listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. <laughs> well, I'd certainly leave the theatre humming that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's very musical theatre, I think deliberately so. <laughs> Save the City from the Hawkeye television series with... Adam Pascal, Ty Taylor, Rory Donovan, Derek Cleaner, Bonnie Milligan, Christopher Sieber, and Shana Steele playing the Avengers there. <laughs> Save the city. Well, you know, it's obviously a real fun concept to put that into the series, but it also has a very serious purpose to address some of the issues from Hawkeye's fairly troubled past. Mm. Which is a feature of this show, introducing some not much needed, but some I think perfectly pitched moments where Clint Barton is going to encounter the things that he's done in his past and mm-hmm. that have been done to him. And I think that's a mark of nuance and sophistication for this show, which might easily just pass by as a sort of lighter toned episode mm. in the mighty world of Marvel. One of the things that impressed me, you know, little things mm. impress me sometimes about these shows. Uh, Kate Bishop's mother says, well, you could come to the party with me, to the big swank soiree, and uh, perhaps wear that red dress that we got for you. Now, Kate does go to that party but she is not wearing that red dress. She's chosen something else. And that's just this little nuance that I thought really helps establish her character. Yeah, 
Ooh. Agree, agree. And does serve a purpose as well for later on. And I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a few clever moments like that where it the, sh- the classic show not tell where we start to go, oh, that's who Kate is. And you get a pretty firm grip on her pretty quickly. The show does spend a little time setting her up, but I do think that they're in a really good position at the end of the first couple of episodes to then just continue with the plot with the Clint-Kate-like dynamic and, you know, off we go into the action ac- action sequence sunset and <laughs> see, um, yeah, how that relationship's going to go and also Clint coming to grips with certain things as well, unfinished business and so on, like you mentioned, and will he get home for Christmas or not, the classic dilemma, and um, will everyone emerge unscathed and not too many cuts and bruises? <laughs> I thought it was great that Jeremy Renner just seems to be having a ball doing this. And there's definitely some comedic scenes that are intentionally silly to Mm. really lean into making him, yeah, very tongue-in-cheek. And I think that everybody's enjoying their time on this show. So I I thought so far I like what I'm seeing. I think the stakes don't feel particularly high. Um, It doesn't feel broody or dark. I do enjoy when Marvel goes that route, but it is kind of nice that they're doing something lighter. Mm. And I want to see what this duo can do and hopefully hijinks ensue. (laughs) The one thing I would say is I think Vera Farmiga is a great actress. She hasn't had much to do here, so I wonder if um, maybe she'll come to fruition a bit more later in the series. Mm. I mean, you know, you don't need Vera Farmiga to play an uptight mother. Like you can have (laughs) – so I'm hoping they'll give her a bit more to work with because I think she's – she, I really like everything she's in, so we'll see. What I like about Jeremy Renner is he's actually a, a bit of a comedian, really, when you think about it. I've seen him in a number of roles now, and he does bring a certain sort of laconic, laid-back humour to things that is actually underplayed a bit. And mm. you're watching me going, hey, that's actually kind of funny. I enjoyed that performance. His character there is is not as grim, even if he is in Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Oh, I actually really enjoyed that. I know it's a terrible movie, but I really liked that film. Oh, it's fun. It is fun. And yeah. it doesn't have a um, uh, an ex-man in it or an ex-woman. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It has um, Famke Jamsen, yeah, who yeah. is um, Jean Grey. She, she's in that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Hawkeye. I, I cannot but recommend it. I mean, it will make sense to you if you – uh, have seen other Marvel products, but and if you haven't, then I mean, I think you could probably still enjoy it. To be honest, I think I mean it depends on where they go with it. But if you you know if you like Christmassy stuff set in New York, that's maybe got like a little bit of action plot, give it a go. Like so, yeah, Hawkeye, Disney Plus, couple of episodes already out, so you can easily catch up, and then it'll be released weekly. So yeah, yet another Marvel thing on the table to dig into. As we found out last week when we played Jeremy Renner singing <laughs> House of the Rising Sun, uh, we will know that he has a good set of pipes on him as well so he could sing the enemy to death. And <laughs> here he is singing a song called Nomad, and it's a single, so, you know, pop that one out all by himself as a celebrity singer. And And I kind of enjoyed the idea of this because it does sort of, capture the idea of Hawkeye post-first Thanos snap wandering around revengeful and embittered as the character of Ronan. 
But it also makes me laugh because Nomad was the alter ego of Steve Rogers when he became disillusioned with Captain America and went off on his own for a while. So here we go, Nomad by Jeremy Renner. Uh, Hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Zero G, you idiots. (laughs) Ah, Groovy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Jeremy Renner really um, got some pipes doing Nomad. Most singular. All right, so... Another television show I have been watching on Apple TV Plus mm-hmm. and came out in uh, late October is Invasion, and that's one of those weekly dropping ones. But since okay. you've got a few weeks since it started, then you'll have a few to catch up with if you so choose to watch it. It's an American, which is to say US American science fiction TV series. Simon Kinberg and David Weil are the creators of it. Kinberg we know from working on the X-Men films and other films like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Brad Pitt oh, yeah. one. Angelina and, Jolie, the infamous film where they met. Mm-hmm. As well as uh, the Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. movies. And um, he's also worked on The Martian and all sorts of things. He made his directorial debut. Oh, dear, on the 2019 X-Men film Dark Phoenix from a script that he also wrote. Oh, yeah, that was a bit of a turkey from memory. Mm. Yes, not exactly a pre-fried phoenix. But anyway, uh, David Wheel is a writer and producer, and we know him from a couple of other shows like Solos and Hunters. And this kind of is a different kind of thing for him being a science fiction series, but... It is what it says on the tin, invasion. Mm -hmm. It's aliens, go figure. We're in well-explored territory here. It's like like zombies or vampires or any of those other tropes, only this is like the granddaddy of all of them from Mm -hmm. H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and other points south. But I would mention that that it actually does remind me of another alien invasion show, called War of the Worlds that's been running for a while. Right. Okay. It's got some of the same um, grace notes as that show too, although they're not exactly grace notes. All right. So um, it tells you the story of an alien invasion from the perspective of at least uh, four or five different people or groups of people scattered around the planet. And they Mm -hmm. really back into that. Okay. And you get the very strong feeling of the fog of interstellar war settling down upon the Earth because communications are disrupted, transport, uh, people's livelihoods, their lives themselves. It's not a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, The Quiet Place 2 in parts where they show you the initial disruption of the society. Right. This is a very slow burn show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have unhooked from it along the way, I know. I see. Uh, I'm eight episodes in. I'm up to date with it. I don't mind the slow burn in this case, but you've got to lead me somewhere with it. Yeah, there's only so much, oh, the world's slowly, you know, imploding in on itself that you can watch stretched over that amount of time without Mm. any action. There is action, though. When it okay. comes, it's you're in no doubt that the aliens mean 
business. What kind of business? We don't exactly know. Mm-hmm. There are, and this is where it does intersect with uh, War of the Worlds, there are some people in the character bag that seem to have foreknowledge of this invasion. Okay. You know, dreams and visions and so on. Oh, so, I see. You know, another well-worn trope. And when I mentioned mm. The Quiet Place before, I was being deliberate because there are some sequences in this that inevitably remind me of that. Mm. But that goes back centuries in the science fiction field and actually is, almost a century in films too. <laughs> is it per episode different perspectives or is it just each episode you see a whole bunch of different, it follows a whole bunch of different people as we go or is it more of an anthology type thing? I haven't tracked exactly how many per episode, but it does seem to me that they pretty much click through each of the five groups or however many there are at the time. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because some of the groups split up and, you know, reform and so on. So there are some really pretty impressive actors in this one. I think probably the one who stands out for me is Golshifta Farahani, and she plays a character called Anisha. She's a failed doctor, which is to say she gave up her career to become a mum. Mm-hmm. And she's an Iranian actress, actually, and has been in a whole bunch of things, including films by Jim Jaramush and Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. So I have seen her before opposite um, Adam Driver in uh, Patterson. Mm-hmm. And also, ah. I don't know if you remember as a sea witch, Shansa in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Okay. I do mm. remember her from Patterson, yeah. But I've also seen her in The Night Eats the World, the French zombie film. So just by chance, I've sort of intersected with her career mm. along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was also in Extraction too. Remember that one that we reviewed, the um, oh, Chris Hemsworth yeah. one? Yeah. Yes, the little action pummely kind of vehicle. That was fun. <laughs> Uh, Now, she plays this character. She's recovering from a pretty big shock in her family life, and really that overshadows a lot of everything else that she does. It's not a one-note performance, but she's carrying around this huge psychic burden from Mm -hmm. all of these things happening at once, and it does make her a little bit dodgy, but she's also finding out that she actually would have made a pretty damn good doctor. Okay in these circumstances as well. Uh, Shamir Anderson plays Trevante Ward. He's a Canadian actor. I've seen him before playing a, a deputy marshal in Winona Earp, the fantasy oh, yeah. series. Uh-huh. And he's also in the upcoming Marvel movie, The Marvels, with, oh. yeah, Brie Larson and uh, cool and uh, Kamala Khan and uh, all of the other characters who they're going to have in that one. We have... Uh, Shoryu Katsuna is playing the character of Mitsuki ah. Yamoto. And we have seen her playing the character of Yukio in Deadpool 2, that little, cute little superhero who Wade just kept saying, hi, Yukio, and she'd say, hi, Wade. You know. Ah. That was the sum total of her performance. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but she's playing a technician working for the Japanese Astronautics Agency, J-A-S-A, and Mm -hmm. she has a partner who is an astronaut, uh, a woman astronaut, so there's some representation of um, of diversity here, and 
she's actually a powerhouse in this. She pushes forward through the role and she is determined to find out the fate of her partner mm-hmm. who was in space at the time when the aliens approached uh, the Earth. I see. Yeah. Um, other characters in here worth mentioning are um, uh, Billy Barrett, which is such a great name for a young actor. And he is, he's a kid, a child actor playing Casper mm-hmm. Morrow. Uh, and he is um, uh, a schoolboy who's one of the people who've got had prescient visions. And he has a hell of a time in life. He's bullied and, uh, you know, and he's artistic. So there's that problem as well. <laughs> so, mm, so he, all right, okay. But Poor a young, thing. A young man of considerable presence in this role and determination. We also briefly see Sam Neill playing an, a US sheriff. Oh, him on the list, okay. At the first episode, I don't know how long he's going to stick around in this story. I imagine he's on the clock and costing a few dollars per minute. (laughs) But he puts in a pretty good performance right up front in the first episode. Like I said, it is an extremely slow burn, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's going to make it – accessible for everybody you know yeah people watch these streaming shows and they want three episodes impress me or i'm out but i yeah. I, I do love the the tension that's built up in this show yeah. they do have enough action in it occasionally to merit the <laughs> the concept of it being a science fiction drama mm. <laughs> so it's not just a talk fest i mean there's a lot out right now and there's a lot yeah. on my list would you would you say like in amongst there's a lot of high quality shows being put out especially genre too would you say it's worth the time to check out or what's I'm kind st- of the final verdict you reckon i'm still watching it eight episodes mm. i haven't abandoned it um I think I'm I'm probably at my limit of how much you can tease me. With, mm. But really, I, I'm kind of enjoying being in the same position of I don't know anything as the characters okay. would be. Sure. You know. Um, I did mention the actor who played Trevante Ward. That's um, Shamir Anderson. Now, he actually plays a, a Navy SEAL in mm-hmm. this. And he has his own literal journey as he's trying to get back from the Middle East. Okay. To the United States in the midst of all the chaos. And it's actually mm. a very touching story, which occasionally they flub when they get a bit too hokey about it. But at other times it really moves you. And yeah. hopefully it is moving him because he's trying to get home like everybody else in the world. So, yeah, it's um, it's got some moves in it. They do stuff like at one stage they barricade a hospital, which is to say the U.S. military does it, and mm-hmm. they actually – set up firing positions and they put sandbags up and stuff that often gets neglected in these sorts of shows. Usually they just park a couple of Humvees outside and a tank or something. Well, it sounds like they're, like you said, slow burn, so they're paying attention to these details as they go, I guess, to to build the atmosphere maybe. I will warn those of you who have any slight tendencies to arachnophobia or... Or maybe even cephalopod phobia, if there's such a thing. Uh, And it probably isn't called that, but that's just (laughs) what I consider it. Because there are some creatures in this that are, you know, leggy and uh, creepy and just not the sort of thing that some people will like to see. I'm all right with them. I'm fine. I've got to deal with spiders. I don't hurt them. And they pose for me in pictures. So, you know, it's, it's all to the good. All right. Uh, oh, also they do give another warning about some strobe lighting too. Oh, 
yeah, which does occur at the time. Its invasion procedural is pretty good, I thought, and that's important mm-hmm. to me. And it's only occasionally that I thought that, felt they descended too far into the usual cliches and tropes. It's quite watchable, I thought, invasion. But again, I will say if it is too slow for you, well, then it is too slow for you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on Apple TV Plus, he said. It is, yes. Great. All right. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. Mm-hmm. And we will go out with a track, which is from our David Bowie selection for today. And mm-hmm. since we talked about a superhero, this is Heroes featuring Nicole Atkins. And it's from Scott Bradley's postmodern jukebox their album pmj and chill i've actually seen these guys in concert oh nice and they're pretty good now thank you to megan thank you rob thank you to kayla larson our podcaster and thank you to joe brunetic coming up next with astral glamour g'day this is rob jan thanks for listening to the podcast at triple r zero g a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.